Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Christmas week. This is going to be the week, right, where everything kind of comes to the forefront. We've been talking about family fights, and this is the week that you're going to have, hopefully not your family fights, but your family gatherings and your coworker parties and time with your friends, right? And so this is the week where I'm going to find out if the messages were actually helpful and if you applied them to your life, right? Like, is this series even, does it even matter? And uh, I'll tell you this, you should take some notes today uh, because studies show that you're four times more likely to remember it. And if you remember it, you may actually apply it. And so today, if, if I just preach a really good sermon and you walk, walk out and you don't apply it tomorrow, you don't apply it to your family this season, uh, we've missed the whole point. So please, please, please take some notes today. This is gonna be one of those messages I think you're gonna be glad you did because this is gonna be a busy season. And at every family event, whether it be a family event, friend event, whatever it may be, there's always two types of people in every fight. There are the flighters and there are the fighters. By a show of hands, once again, raise your hand if you are a flighter. You're a flighter, you avoid conflict. Okay, raise your hand if you're a fighter. And there's our problem. All right, so <laughs> for the flighters in the room, you're the ones that like Christmas is here. You're not looking forward to Christmas because you are forced to go hang out with people that you really don't like. You're the ones that are like telling your kids to go outside with a shirt off so they can get sick. And you're like, oh, well, little Jeremy got the flu. Don't know how, right? Just so you can, that's some of you, you know, I just gave some of you an idea. Like, that's a good idea. Just so you can avoid Christmas with your family, right? But the others, you know, you're, you're, you avoid conflict. But then on the other side, there's, there's the fighters and you're coming into those family gatherings, those Christmas parties with work and you got your gloves on, you're ready to go. Like, please somebody say something about how spoiled my kids are and I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind, right? You're just, you're ready to fight. Like you're ready to throw down. And, and in every family, in every situation, really at every party, in every church, there's both flighters and fighters. And then there's that person that's just a little bit different they're the ones that come to the Christmas party. And this is the one that they're always angry, not just at the party, but just in life, they're angry. Anybody know them? Don't touch them. Okay, come on. Right, they're just mad. They're negative. They're always offended. They're walking around. They got a problem with everybody. These are the people who will show up to your Christmas party late with no gift and a to-go box saying like, will y'all give me some leftovers, right? Like, and if you're going, man, I don't really know anybody like that in my family. Here's why you don't know anybody like that because it might be you. <laughs> Some of y'all are so offended right now. But we live, right, we live in an age of offense, don't we? I mean, I think that most of the family fights that we actually get into have very little to do with the present, but everything due to what's happened in the past. And the reason we come in ready to fight is because we're still so offended. And, and if that's you and like, you're just walking around mad and, and maybe the reason you don't enjoy life is because you're so easily offended. And so if you wanna enjoy life, why don't we start making it a little bit harder to get so offended? Right, like we're offended about everything. We're offended when somebody don't like something on Facebook. You know, you bring a casserole, don't nobody eat it. You're just mad. You know, and, and here's what's interesting to me, especially around the holidays, is Chris, Christians seem to be the worst, like the easiest offended people on the planet. Like you'll go to Starbucks and because it doesn't say Merry Christmas on the cup and it's just red, you'll be like, boycott. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or you're at the gas station, you know, the, the, the person checking you out is really nice and you're leaving and they're like, Hey, happy holidays. And you just turn around and you're like, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, some of you are just so easily offended, you know, posting stuff like, oh, let's keep, let's keep Christ in Christmas. It's like, yeah, how about we keep Christ in the Christian? Come on, somebody. Like, 
Why are we expecting the world to act like the world? What if Christians actually acted like Christ and decided to be the light of the world in a dark world? Right? Like, but we just get so offended. I mean, I had somebody this week DM me on Instagram talking about, I'm so offended why you don't have services on December 25th. Don't you know that's when Jesus was born? Haven't you read your Bible? Why aren't you gathering on the 25th? I can't imagine coming to a Bible-believing church and they don't have service on Christmas morning. I'm like, ma'am, we have four services on 23rd and the 24th. And speaking of the Bible, clearly you haven't read it because I've never read anywhere that said he was born on December 25th. Most scholars think he was born in the springtime so we could choose to celebrate it whenever we want and you can come if you want to. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't, say, all, I didn't say all that. I'm not, I'm not that bold, but like, I'm not offended at her offense, okay? But like we do, right? We live so offended by people and we have such thin skin, but we have hard hearts. And what I love about this guy named Joseph, the one we've been learning about, is that Joseph had a hard life, but he still somehow had a soft heart. All of the things that happened to him, all of his family fights, all the, the ways people were mistreated him and abused him and left him and, and everything else, Joseph wasn't known for his anger. He wasn't known for his resentment. He wasn't known for his bitterness. Joseph was not known for being offended. Joseph is rather known for being obedient. And that's my prayer for us in this season as we prepare to walk into potential family conflicts is not that we would live offended because getting offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And I wanna be known not by being offended by the words of people, but rather by being obedient to the word of God. Can I get an amen? And Joseph was like this guy who he'd been through a lot. I mean, you think your family's bad. We talked about this these past couple of weeks, but if you weren't here, let me just, let me tell you how bad Joseph's, like family dynamics, some of the fights they had. Joseph is this good looking man. It says he was well-built and handsome. So he's swole, he's sexy, he looks good. His mama's hot, he's his daddy's favorite. His daddy gives him a Gucci coat. His brothers can't stand him. He's walking down the road, his brothers see him. They're like, we're gonna kill his dream. We're gonna kill him. Let's, and then inside, instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit. And then after they throw him in a pit, instead of pulling him out, playing a joke on him, they sell him into slavery. He gets in to Potiphar's house where he is a slave. And at Potiphar's house, his cougar wife talking about, I wanna come to, come to bed with me. I wanna have sex with you. And, and what did Joseph do? He ran away. Why? Because you don't pet cougars, you run from them. If you missed last week, you should go back and listen to the sermon. It's on YouTube. And then Joseph is put into prison. Like, yo, that's, that's a family fight. We, we think we got fights, but that is a family conflict. Can, can we just be honest? If that was you, and you were Joseph, and your family treated you that way, what would you do? Let's just be real today. If like, let's say 20 years from that moment, like that happened to you, 20 years goes by, and after everything they did to you, you had the opportunity to get back at them, and they didn't know it was you? Come on, can we just be honest? How many of you would get back at them? Right, like after every, they threw you in a pit, you, ha you went from being favored in your father's house to being a slave. Now you're thrown in prison all because they were offended? How many of you would be like, okay, I may not kill them, but I'm gonna find a way to get back at them, especially if they don't know it's me. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens. Like if you read this story, take some time, Genesis 37 to 50. What happens in that story is he's, I left this off last week. He's in prison. He's been put in charge of the whole prison. 
because God was with him. He was favored by the warden. So he puts him in charge of this whole prison. And what happens, and we're gonna go to Genesis 50 in a second, is 22 years later, Joseph is in charge of the entire palace. He's in charge of all of Egypt. There's a famine in the land, but, but God, Joseph listened to God. He was obedient to God. He stores up produce so that when everybody else has none, Egypt has everything people need. And guess who shows up 22 years later talking about we're hungry, we need some food so we don't die? Joseph's brothers. Joseph ain't seen them in 22 years. He was 39. Last time he saw him, he was 17. They were throwing him into a pit, leaving him to die. And they don't show up 20 years later and it says they don't recognize Joseph. See, they convinced themselves that he was dead because that's what they told everybody. But Joseph, how many of you know, if you, if you were Joseph, you would recognize them. Like then there's them sorry boys right there telling people I'm dead. I'm, look at me, I'm in, I'm in charge of the whole land. And so Joseph kind of starts to mess with them a little bit. And he says, hey, I want you to go get my younger brother, Benjamin. That was his, his, his blood brother. He was younger, so, so Benjamin wasn't a part of throwing him into the pit. And so he's like, I want you to go get my brother, Benjamin, and bring him here. So eventually, he sets up this arrangement. They bring him Benjamin, and he's weeping when he sees his brother. He's heartbroken. 22 years go by, still carrying that pain. He weeps with his brother, and it says he was weeping so loud that the whole palace heard him crying. And he finally tells his brothers, it's me, Joseph, the one you said was dead. And can you, can you imagine being them? Like they just saw a ghost. Can you imagine? He goes, I want you to go get my dad. I want my dad, Jacob, to know that I'm alive. Can you imagine being the brothers having to walk back and have that conversation with your dad? Like, hey, dad, uh, my dad's over here. You, you know, dad, you know your favorite son that we said died 22 years ago and we made it look like he was killed by some wild animals and we dipped his Gucci coat in blood. He ain't dead. He's actually in charge of Egypt. He wants you to go see him. Can you imagine being the dad? Like, are you kidding me? I've been crying over my son for 22 years and you lied about killing him? And he's a, he's a lot, of course I'm gonna go see him. And so he goes and he sees Joseph. Joseph moves the entire family. Joseph meets them out. And he provides for his entire family. Make sure they're good after everything they had done. But then in Genesis 50, Joseph's dad had died. Jacob was dead. And so now there ain't nobody keeping Joseph from paying his brothers back. And if you was one of them brothers, you'd be pretty nervous about that. So let's go to Genesis 50, starting in verse 14. You're ready for the word of God, shout, I am ready. Here's what he says, Genesis 50, 14. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said this, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father's left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. Ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive the sins of the servants of, of the God, your father. And when the message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. Verse 18, his brothers then came, threw themselves down before him and said, we are your slaves. So here Joseph is, he gets this stupid little letter 
talking about dad said for us to forgive you. And he's like, y'all are lying. Dad didn't say that. Showing, showing Joseph there had been no change in his brother's heart. And, and, and then here they are. And Joseph has a really important decision to make. His brothers are, are bowed on their knees before him, begging him, please forgive me. And this is a defining moment in Joseph's life. And, and maybe you're here today because this is a defining moment in your life. And maybe today is the day where you have a, a massive decision to make because here they are, they're bowing down before him, begging him for forgiveness. And some of you this season, you're gonna have people who've offended you in the past. They're gonna ask you for forgiveness and you have the means to make them pay. And he can, he can make them pay. He can have them pay him back for all that he lost, all the time he lost, all the money he lost, everything he had been through. But I want you to watch what Joseph said. Verse 19. Joseph said to him, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Whew. If we could get that question, if you could learn to ask that question in conflict, am I in the place of God? Here's Joseph, he's got a decision to make. Do I use my power to put them in their place? Then he backs up and he goes, but if I do, and I use my power, I use my authority to put them in their place where they deserve, I would be putting myself in God's place. And he says, am I in the place of, am I in the place of God? Like, I know you wronged me, I know you hurt me, but you're begging me on your knees and saying, please forgive me? Like, am I in the place of God? I don't deserve for you to bow down to me. I wanna preach from this thought today, the judge's seat. Because I think that many of us right now, we're at a time in our life where we have a decision to make. And the question I wanna ask you is, are you in the place of God? You have a decision to make. You have somebody in your life that has hurt you, that has harmed you, that's done wrong to you, and you have the authority, you have the power. But if you use it, you're putting yourself in the place of God and saying, I deserve for you to bow to me. You're now my slave. And what you will do, if you're not careful, is you will put yourself not in the place of the one who needs to be forgiven, but you will put yourself in the place of the one who gives out the sentence. And, and Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Some of you today are carrying an offense and it's bugged you for a long time. And I think sometimes we think that by carrying this offense and being mad at people, it somehow hurts the other person one of the greatest quotes I've heard on forgiveness, my dad and I were talking about it this week, is that when you choose to not forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. You, you can choose to not forgive, but when you do, you are placing yourself in the judge's seat. What would it look like this Christmas if you actually chose to forgive? Here's what I believe. I believe that it could transform your family. There's been a lot of offenses in my family 
and I'm so grateful for the ones that have been forgiven, but we still got work to do. And I, I bet you do too. And so I want you to declare something by faith today. And we're gonna talk about why. But I want you to say this out loud with me. Say, I will forgive. Turn to your neighbor, say, I will forgive. Turn to your other neighbor, the one you don't like, and said, I will forgive you. I will forgive. Here's why I want you just to declare that. You ready? I'm asking you to declare that you will forgive because forgiveness is a decision of faith. And sometimes before you feel it, you gotta declare it in faith that no matter what happens, I'm choosing to forgive. And that is my prayer for you this season that you would forgive. So then here's my question. And this is where it got real quiet last service. So talk back to me. Who needs your forgiveness? Who needs forgiveness? Like if they walked in them doors right now, you'd roll your eyes and cross your arms like all day in church. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Who needs? When they show up at the Christmas party, you pray and they don't show up. Who needs forgiveness? I think the challenge with this idea of forgiveness is we've been told our whole lives that we're supposed to forgive, but no one's ever actually told us what it means. Not only do we not really understand what forgiveness means, we've never been taught how to do it. It's just forgive, and, and, and you have no idea how to actually forgive people or what it even really means. Because we get all these weird pictures of forgiveness. So let's start with just going around and, and, and saying what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Forgiveness is not sweeping it under the rug. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen. Pretending it didn't happen doesn't make it go away. You know that, right? Like it's not releasing the person of the consequence. Like if somebody breaks into your car, forgiving them doesn't mean you don't take action. It just means you don't take vengeance, Romans 12 says. Because our job, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone, forgiveness isn't reconciliation. It's the big one. What is reconciliation? The bringing together of two parties that have been separated. That's not what forgiveness is. Because reconciliation takes two people. And how many of you know you can't control them? but you can't control you. So reconciliation is not two people coming together. That takes two, but forgiveness takes one. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. You can't control them, but you can choose to forgive. So what is forgiveness? Write this down. Forgiveness is releasing people of the debt they owe. It's releasing people of the debt they owe. I wanna show you a story Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has a lot to say about this idea of forgiveness. Peter came up to him and asked. He, he said what a lot of us think. He said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? <laughs> Some of you, you won't pray that prayer, but that's what you're thinking. Like how often, do I really got it? Like how many times is enough? If anybody really just wanna be honest and say, I've prayed that before. Like God, how many times do I gotta do this? Like how many times, is it six times? Is it seven times? Jesus says, no. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Wait, so 340 times? That's not the point. The point is, what Jesus is saying is that forgiveness isn't about keeping score. Forgiveness is about losing count. Who almost said that again? Forgiveness isn't about keeping score. Forgiveness is about losing count. Listen, 
This is such a contrary thought in our Americanized world. This is almost like anti-American, but can I remind you, especially if you are a believer in Jesus, that before you are an American, you are a citizen of heaven. And God has called you to something higher and greater and they may not deserve it, but God has called you to be a part of the kingdom. And here's what Jesus says the kingdom looks like. He says this in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who borrowed money. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with compassion for him and he released him and forgave his debt. What is forgiveness? It's releasing someone of their debt. Y'all, this is crazy. Can we be real? If somebody owed you millions of dollars, you just gonna let it go. No, you're not. Like you, you, like you may go, all right, you're out of time. Like a couple months, I'll give it to you. But you're not about to release somebody of millions of dollars. But this is exactly what the king does. He releases them of owing millions of dollars. Can you imagine being on the receiving end? If you owed somebody millions of dollars and just got sold as a slave and the king goes, you're good. You would be so grateful. You would run around. You would do a happy dance. You would do everything in your power to make sure everybody knew how great that king was that he would forgive you of such debt. But here's what this man does. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So he owed a million. Now a servant owes him a thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Isn't it interesting that this servant just said the very thing that he said before he was forgiven? But watch what he does. His creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. The king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Then Jesus looks back at his disciples and he says this, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. God says, don't, don't play me. I have an unlimited supply of grace to you and you're gonna have a limited supply of grace towards them? He said, don't, don't. Don't play me, why? Because forgiveness is releasing people of the debt. Hear me, it is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. It is a discipline of every believer. You cannot be a Christian and refuse to forgive. There's no clauses. There's no like, well, forgive them if they apologize. Why? Because forgiveness is not about their offense. Forgiveness is about your obedience. But, but Cody, you don't know what they did. You don't know how much money they owe. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't know what they did to you, but I do know what Jesus did for you. How many debts have you been forgiven of? The millions of offenses that you've committed. You have a king who says, I'm forgiving you. How dare you rob me of the opportunity to forgive somebody else? Are you in the place of God? Forgiveness is not about what they deserve. 
forgiveness is about what God desires. So much so, Jesus talks about it all the time. In fact, in his very first sermon, his disciples come up and ask another question. Peter's like, how many times do I gotta forgive him? This time he comes up and he says, how, can you teach me how to pray? Great question, by the way. If you don't know how to pray, ask that question first. Ask God, how do I pray? And he'll teach you. But Jesus could have said anything in the world. I mean, he could have pulled any prayer from scripture, could have quoted off any Psalm and says, this is an example of how to pray. But in, in a question so simple of how to pray, what, what does he say? He says, our father in heaven, let me pause there. He starts out with the assumption that you understand he's not just your father, he's our father. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ and he is our heavenly father. So you first start off your prayer and acknowledge God, not my God, but our God, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love that. In Gallatin, as it is in heaven. We shout about that. We praise about that. Then it says, give us today our daily bread. God, provide for me what I need. And then watch. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us, say forgive us, as we, say as we. The assumption here is that if you are in Christ, you have already forgiven your brother and sister. It's a given. God, forgive me as I've already forgiven them. Why? It's not about what they deserve. It's about what God desires. I know it's tough. I, I get it. Forgiveness is extremely unfair. Write it down. Forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is faith. It takes faith to forgive. What do I mean by that? It, it means I have to have enough faith to understand that the millions of sins I've committed and, and, and went against my heavenly father, I gotta have the faith to understand that though I have offended him and sinned against him millions of times, he is faithful to forgive as he promises and I have been forgiven. And when I know that, it takes me faith to believe that, therefore it takes me faith to forgive you. It's a decision of faith. And this is so important to get that releasing the debt actually releases your future. I really believe there's some doors that God is calling you to walk through, but many of us will not walk through those doors because of who's on the other side of them. He's calling you to be a light in a dark world. The problem is, is we don't like who's in the dark. And, and here's, here's one of the biggest questions I get. Why should I? Why should I forgive? I mean, it kind of feels like I'm just digging up old dead bones. Why? It, it's, it's so long ago, who cares? I, I should... Why should I do that? <laughs> it made me think of this story. You know, I was talking about getting offended at Christmas parties. Um, one time we, we got in an argument at one of my family Christmases where we were debating, this is so stupid. This shows you how stupid and immature some of us are. Um, we were debating about how long leftovers were good for. <laughs> because somebody's like, oh, you don't want leftovers? You're too good for leftovers? I'm like, it's just not my thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I'm like, how long do you eat leftovers for? And they're like a month. I'm like, not only are you angry, you're nasty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so <laughs> help me settle the debate real quick. How long are good, like how long are leftovers good for? Okay, raise your hand if you'll eat a leftover that's a month old. Okay, praise God, you're on my team. That's great. <laughs> what about two weeks? Any two-weekers? Okay. Oh, no, some of them, no. Some of y'all getting offended in the back. You're like... Okay, can we agree? Will everybody eat leftovers for three days? Three days, you're good. Raise your hand if you're good with three days. All right, good, all right. 
So imagine, just imagine with me, hold on. This is going somewhere, like, where is he going with this? It's going somewhere. Imagine if you left those leftovers in, not for three days, but imagine if you left those leftovers in for 30 years. Nasty, right? How many of you would eat them 30 years later? Absolutely not. But it's contained. What would happen over a 30-year period? I don't care what it is. You can contain it and put it in a box, but eventually, over 30 years, whatever is contained in that, in that space will leak out of that space. The smell, the stench, the aroma will leave that space, fill the refrigerator. Not only will it fill the refrigerator, it'll contaminate your whole house and it will stink, will it not? And some of us haven't dealt with issues for 30 something years. We've put them in a box, placed it in the refrigerator, started fighting other fights and forgot about that one. And then we think because at one point we contained it away that it won't contaminate our soul. I'm, I'm telling you that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. And I'm telling you, some of you right now have placed it on the shelf for so long and you wonder why you're taking your anger out on everybody else over somebody you were mad at that ain't even here no more. Telling forgiveness not only releases them, it releases you. It releases you. It allows you to walk in freedom of the future. So how do we do it? Five minutes left. How do we forgive? Remember when I said Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching him to pray. If we back up in Matthew 5, he says this real interesting. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, how? Watch, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You wanna know the first step of forgiveness? Prayer. What do you do when you're angry at somebody, when somebody's offended you, when they've hurt you? I promise you this, if you'll pray for them over time, it'll be harder and harder and harder to hate them. Sometimes your prayers start out like, God, please just give them, get, it, get them back. You know, God, please just let their kneecap blow out when they're walking. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be real, let's be real. But what happens over time, listen, over time, not overnight, please do not think that it, you've had pain for 22 years, Joseph, and think that because you go, well, I'm gonna forgive him, that 22 years of pain will be gone in 22 seconds. What happens over time, if you will pray for them, here's my guarantee, your prayer may not change them, but it will change you. It will change you. He says this, bear with each other and forgive another if any of you has grievance against someone. Colossians 3, 13, what does that mean? It means to make room for failure. We sing about making room. How many of us have made room for the failures of other people in our life? Or are we just demanding perfection in the relationship? Can we be real? How many of you have made room for your own failure? Some of us can't forgive other people because we've expected perfection from ourselves. And do you know what happens? Is you're placing yourself in the judge's seat, saying, I'm not worthy to be forgiven. How, how dare us set ourselves in the judge's seat and declare that Jesus was a waste on the cross for you and for me? You mean, you mean tell you what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is giving someone the gift that God gave you. It's forgiving them. 
It's, it's, it's releasing them of the debt. Listen, it may not be your fault, hear me, but it is now your responsibility. You may have not caused it, but now you have a choice what to do with it. It's a forgiveness. It's giving someone the gift that God forgave you. How do we do it? How do we make room? What does he say? He says to forgive as the Lord forgave you. What does that mean? It means that forgiveness is God's response to your failures. You guys ask you, what's your response to your family's failure? Am I in the place of God? Grace is free, but it doesn't mean it was cheap. It cost Jesus his life so that you can freely receive it. And in the shadow of your pain, forgiveness will feel like you're letting someone off the hook. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness comes from one broken sinner to another. We give what we have received. This is how we do. Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Can I just tell you, forgiveness brings freedom. It not only releases them, it releases you. Because here's what happens. When you start to blame other people, the blame becomes bitterness and the bitterness becomes bondage. And the only way to be set free from unforgiveness is to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Here's the beautiful truth. I love what Psalm 86, five says. It says, oh Lord, you're so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. It's this beautiful picture like God is on the edge of his seat, peeking over heaven, wanting you to see his goodness and how much he loves you just waiting for you to answer the question, who needs forgiveness? And the question, the answer is all of us. Forgiveness is what sets your future free, not just in heaven, but on earth. You stand to your feet, I'm gonna pray over you. Ask that God would do the healing work only he can do. Some of you have thought you have offended God so much with your blasphemy that you've offended so God, God so much with your sin that he could never forgive you for what you've done to him, that he could never forgive you for what you've said, never forgiven you for making fun of people who follow him, could never forgive someone like you. I just got a question. Are you in the place of God? Do you not know what he did? Do you not understand that he came to this earth, left heaven, died on the cross so that sinners like you and I could be forgiven because of his victory over the pit? You may have put him in the pit, friend, but his grace got him out. And he extends that to you. So would you just answer that question today? Who needs forgiveness? For some of you, this is for somebody in your life, but others of you, this is for you. This is the moment, a defining moment. Stop paying yourself back for all the wrong you did. 
Jesus has already paid that price. So we pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you as living and active. I know the Holy Spirit. God, Holy Spirit, I know you're in this room right now, healing hearts, setting people free. Not just forgiving other people, but knowing that they've been forgiven by you. So today, right now, I just pray that they would receive your forgiveness, your grace that is unlimited, that you forgive us for every offense we've committed against you. And God, help us in faith, forgive other people. But if that's you today and you'd like to give him your life and you would like to receive forgiveness for your sin, for your offense against the holy God, how do you take the first step of forgiveness? You pray. So I wanna invite you to do that now and pray. You just say this with me if you're a believer in Jesus, letting people know they're not in this fight alone. Say, today, I receive your forgiveness. I believe that you are who you say you are, that you did what you said you did, and you will do what you say you will do. God, you're faithful to forgive. Thank you for forgiving me. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or you're coming back to God on the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand. Nobody looking around. I'm not gonna call you out by name. not gonna embarrass you. Just wanna celebrate with you. If you made that decision today, we lift your hand? One, two, three. Shoot them up in the air. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. God sees you. Peeking over heaven. Sees you asking for help. Father, I ask those whose hands are lifted today that they would receive your forgiveness. And today, God, we would declare, I will, say I will, forgive. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody set? Amen. Hey, we celebrate those who made that decision today. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church slash give. Have a blessed day.